0: A reading from Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there is not a word on my lips, but you, O Lord, know it all together. You press upon me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Your works are wonderful and I know it well. My body was not hidden from you while I was being made in secret and woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my limbs, yet unfinished in the womb. All of them were written in your book. They were fashioned day by day, when as yet there was none of them. How deep I find your thoughts, O oh God. How great is the, sun of, the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would be more in number than the sand. To count them all, my lifespan would need to be like yours. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks
1: be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, Flannery O'Connor, in a an essay that she wrote on uh, the nature and aim of fiction writing, of writing. And she writes that the beginning of human knowledge is through the senses. And the fiction writer begins where human perception begins. He appeals for the senses and you cannot appeal to the senses through abstractions. And so, you know, what she's saying is that writers are interested in ideas, uh, often abstract ideas, big ideas. But for uh, their work to have any um, real meaning for anybody, it, that those ideas, these abstractions, have to be translated into earthy, uh, bodily, material terms. She says, "Fiction is about everything human, and we are made out of dust. And if you scorn getting yourself dusty, you shouldn't try to write fiction." And the, the same idea is true for what we try to do as we preach uh, for theology, for the message of the gospel. If it's going to have any real effect in our lives, if it's going to touch down in any kind of real way in our actual lives, it's got, the message has got to hit us where we live. Not on Sundays, or, but on you know, Thursdays at 2, or just all through the week, as we, as, as we actually are as people. Not religious people or spiritual people, but just people. The message has got to affect us where we live. And uh, this evening, uh, this gospel according to Psalm 139, which I'm preaching on tonight, hits us where we live Literally, I don't know if especially the middle section of this psalm, um, where it hits us is in our bodies, where we live literally, in other words, our bodies. This is a sermon about our bodies tonight. Because the message of the gospel, according to Psalm 139, is very simply this. God loves your body. I'm not talking about you in some kind of sort of ontological way that's disembodied from you know, how you get up in the morning and brush your teeth and go about your day. I'm talking about your body. God loves your body. And it's a good thing that God loves your body because if the stats are correct, it's likely that you do not love your body. I mean, this is why, obviously, it's, you know, right after New Year's, that the number one resolution for New Year's by far is weight loss. And you've probably heard these figures before that, you know, it's estimated that Between 40 and 50% of American women at any given time are trying to lose weight. That Americans spend, you might not know this, uh, uh, more than $40 billion a year on dieting or diet-related products, which is roughly equivalent to the amount the government spends on education every year. Same thing. And uh, in 2007, there were 11.7 million cosmetic procedures performed in the U.S. And then, um, this is sad: 53% of 13-year-old girls are unhappy with their bodies. And by the time those girls get to be 17%, I mean 17 years old, the percentage is uh, nearly 80%. Uh, of, of girls unhappy with their bodies, wanting to change their bodies, and then you, you've heard these, of course, uh, being connected to UVA. That you know, it's estimated one out of four college women uh, struggle with some kind of, of eating disorder. But it's not just women. It's interesting. There's this: the guys have their own issues. And we a study just out of England. This was this past week. Uh, We're we're looking at how men felt about their bodies. And according to research, more men worry about their body shape and their appearance, the sort of beer bellies and going bald, than women do to worry about how they look. I mean, more than four out of five men, uh, it said, talk in ways that kind of promote anxiety about some deficiency in their bodies uh, that they they feel like is uh, really wrong with them. Uh, that, that 38% of men would sacrifice at least a year of their life in exchange for the perfect body, and it's a higher proportion than women. And then one out of every three men thought about their appearance at least five times a day, you know, how they looked. Now, I think that's a little low myself, you know, <laughs> speaking, you know, hypothetically. Um, so, um, well, you know, although you may not love your body, uh, God loves your body. God loves your body. He does. And it's a good thing, too, because, you know, I think we think about our bodies way more than, than, than just five times a day, and not just in terms of our appearances, but just with health. You know, as, as, as uh, some of us are getting older, then it feels like they're just, if it's not one thing, it's another, uh, with bodies falling apart. And, uh, we, you know, we in this parish spend a lot of time with older people And and nursing homes and hospitals are worried about going to nursing homes. And people fear and feel sometimes as they get older that their lives are just strung together, you know, by doctor's visits and medications. And there's an inordinate inordinate amount of time just focusing on keeping the body healthy, you know. And I realized about, I'm 47 now, I realized about a year ago when I hurt my back putting on my socks. (laughs) That I, I was officially middle-aged now. So, and, you know, the hair dye fooling you. So, um, that's a joke. Um, you know, but the older you get, of course, then you, 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 know, you realize your days are numbered and, and the, the impending day will come when you have to, as Shakespeare said, said, shuffle off your mortal coil. Now, that's when you're older. Now, when you're young, obviously, and your hormones are raging... Uh, you're thinking about not just your body, but you're thinking about her body or his body. Not just five times a day, about five times a second. You're thinking about sex all the time. And uh, our high school soccer team had a code name for the Adidas cleats that we used to wear, you know, on the field, A-D-I-D-A-S. All day, I dream about, you guessed it, sex. And... Um, Anyway, I've heard it's said that this preoccupation with sex doesn't actually stop after high school. I don't know. Is it true? <laughs> dick Van Dyke, remember him? You know, he was like the sort of perfect, uh, sort of family figure guy. Christy saw him and said, "Oh, there's Dick Van Dyke." And then she said, "Oh, Dick, who's now 86, is engaged to a 34-year-old. Interesting. Go at it, Dick." Okay. <laughs> we live in our bodies. This is where we live. Obviously, we live in our bodies. And I just want to say to 'm all for um, exercising, and I'm all for for eating right, and I'm all for you know organic foods, and all for feeling good and keeping a good weight, and by all means, just keep running up and down Rugby Road. Just do it. It's fine. I mean, when the sun's out, put the guns out. And um, I think you know I'm all for you know trying to at least be in, be healthy, but. Um, here, here's all I'm saying is that I think it's safe to assume that it, that most of us and not even just younger ones of us most of us well we're tempted to use our bodies uh, in this ongoing battle of self-justification of please accept me please love me am I lovable please, please approve of me and we even uh, try to justify this, this with our bodies, with religion. Um, this is a true story. In Birmingham, Alabama, where we lived for three years, we would drive by a plastic surgery office in Alabama whose slogan, it was a Christian plastic surgeon, and the slogan <coughs> for the plastic surgery office was perfecting the beautiful body God intended for you. <laughs> That's just wrong. wrong. <laughs> And uh, if you were here last Sunday, you heard Dave Zoll's just brilliant sermon um, about this question that I've just raised, that we ask of our parents and that we ask of life in general. You know, am I lovable? Do you love me? Do you love me? Will you accept me? Am I likable? Uh, and, and, and many of us, again, what I'm saying, try to answer these questions with our, our bodies, because this is where we live. Why wouldn't we? We're self-justifying creatures, and why wouldn't we try to answer that question, what with what's the obvious uh, realm of appearance and judgment. And, you know, we answer these questions and we're just bombarded by advertisements all day long uh, that uh, would seek to tell us this, that we're lovable if we're hot. And uh, this past week, in fact, I was looking at two televisions at one time, two screens at one time, and one of the screens on the television had a show for plus-size women with food and you know fashions, and right next to it was a, a show with an ad for this guy for abs. It was some ab machine it looked like torture, but he had very nice six-pack. And so I was looking at these two um, televisions. Of course, you know where I was on the treadmill at my gym, just trying to get to that 400 calorie burn mark. I mean, like I just got to get there. And uh, you know, who's not susceptible? You know, who's not susceptible to this? But what I want to say so clearly, uh, because because the message of Christianity has a really um, uh, um, distinct message about this whole issue. And it's not maybe what you think it is, because this is not a sermon about bodies being bad. Or uh, about how we should, you know, be more focused on our spiritual lives and our. Uh, a prayer or a Bible study or, or doing this. its, it's it, it, In fact, um, that idea that the bodies are bad and that we should focus on our spiritual life, which is more important, it's not Christianity at all. In fact, it's a heresy. It's an age-old heresy called Manichaeism. And uh, the Manichaeans, they had this idea that that, that spirit was good and spirit was the way you, you could connect with the ultimate, with God, with the ultimate being. And your bodies, your bodies were just dead weight. They were in the way and that you should subdue them and, uh, and that you should, you should do all you can to ignore or subdue your bodies. And that's a heresy. That's not at all what God has in mind. God is a, is a materialist, which we'll get into in a second. And I want to say, too, it's a slippery slope, this heresy, because you can hear it uh, all over the place today in some form. And any time that you hear anybody say that they want to work on your spirituality, like, I just, I need to get, I need to work on my spirituality, that's a heresy. Um, Spirituality, what is spirituality? Spirituality is nothing. We're people. We're people who live, eat, breathe, uh, have all the bodily functions, spirituality, uh, the way people talk about it—is some. it would be like some sort of separate sector that you work on to connect with God. God is interested in the whole of our beings. And uh, so spirituality can be anything. And you're, if you're talking about spirituality, you're veering toward manichaeism and not real Christianity. And so this is a sermon tonight. It's a sermon about the God who loves your body and about how this message that he loves your body as you actually are, about how this message might just give you at least a little sense of freedom and peace with your mortal coil. What does God say? What does God think about your body? Psalm 139, the psalmist says, For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I will thank you, because I am marvelously made. While I was, um, your works are wonderful, and I know it well. My body was not hidden for you. While I was being made in secret and woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my limbs. Very earthy. Bodily, bony, fleshy, materially, bloody image there. Corporal image. You are marvelously made, every single limb of you. Without qualification. There's no qualification in the psalmist's uh, elegy to God's love for our bodies. And as a work of God, you are wonderful unqualified see that's God's message to you where you live God loves your body and you know I I wish wouldn't it be great I wish that you could hear that I could hear that 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 message from the psalmist would be enough to actually stop girls from you know starving themselves in order to try to conform to some image of a body that they think others will love or that this message would satisfy everybody's desire to be loved as they actually are, and to and to just stop freaking out about the, the the so-called imperfections in your frame. I wish, and then maybe you know. I hope we will in fact hear this word when we are that we are marvelously made. When we're we're back at the AFC or wherever you are, or just in front of a television or anywhere. This cacophonous din of the world's uh, unbearable body image demands. And as if you can meet up with that demand on a Monday, well, guess what? Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, maybe not of the next day, but of the next year, or certainly the next decade, you won't be meeting up with it. But God's words are easy to forget. And God knows that too, so he didn't just speak and stay abstract. God, of course, embodied the message, literally. He did not stay an abstraction. He became a body. He became a body. As we do communion, this is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. He got dusty, to use Flannery O'Connor's terms. He he came to be with us where we live. He came to be with us where we live. What's an image of this? Well, Everybody else in the entire universe is talking about Tim Tebow, so now it's my turn. I get to talk about him tonight, too. And, uh, you know, no matter what you think about his quarterbacking skills or uh, the big loss last night or public prayer or all the Tebow mania that's around, um, th- I did read something uh, this past week in Rick, from Rick Riley in Sports Illustrated that, in fact, touched me. And I thought, wow, that is an image, just an image of the way that God cares for us materially bodily. Riley writes of Tebow, every week Tebow picks out someone who is suffering, who is dying or who is injured. He flies these people and their families to the Broncos game, rents them a car, puts them up in a nice hotel, buys them dinner, gets them and their families pregame passes, visits with them just before kickoff, Gets them 30-yard line tickets down low. Visits with them after the game, sometimes for up to an hour. Has them walk him to his car after everybody's gone and then sends them off with a basket of gifts. It's the material nature. And this, in fact, happened to um, this boy some, many of you know from Woodbury Forest who, uh, who, who, who lost his leg And he flew, I think, to a Buffalo game and and, and, um, he was, in fact, in this article. But it's a picture, it's just a picture of how God cares for people as we're sick and dying and aging or just ourselves where we live. And we've said the gospel's got to hit us where we live. But yet, I want to take it one step further. Because that's not actually enough either. Because as long as we live, we are, uh, we, are, we, are, we are tempted seven ways from Sunday. And we fail. We'll struggle with the sin of wanting to justify ourselves and to compare ourselves to her or to him. We're, we'll, we'll struggle with the sin of wanting to be self-justified with our bodies. And all of us, of course, even if that's not our issue, we'll all die. I mean, we'll all go the way of the flesh. Our our flesh will all be here today and gone tomorrow like the grass that's burned up, as the scripture says. All of us will suffer disease and corruption and, and death. And so, in light of that, isn't it a little silly when you think about it to try to justify or answer the question, am I lovable, with this body that's ephemeral at best. Because we will all die. So the gospel not only has to hit us where we live, the gospel has to hit us where we die. The gospel has to connect with us where we die. And when Christ became a human body, Well, he didn't just get dusty, he got bloody, and his body died. And see, when he died, he answered once and for all, resoundingly, without qualification, the question, do you love me? Yes. Your sin is not held against you. And what's so interesting is the way God did this. He didn't do this in some kind of theological abstract magic trick as if he were just to sort of wipe it away magically. He did it with his body. There's a verse in 1 Peter that says, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. By his wounds you have been healed. Corporal, earthy, bodily, material. God loves your body. And just so you know, even in death, when we all do go the way of the flesh and these are shuffled off, we won't become nobodies. In other words, we won't become no bodies because we'll have bodies. Uh, God is so interested in bodies that he. Uh, will give us new bodies or resurrection bodies. We won't be disembodied spirits floating around on harps. You know. No, we wouldn't be floating on harps. We'd be playing the harps on the clouds. But we won't be, we'll be bodies, is what the scripture says. This bodily image stays all the way through the God who became a body, who, who, whose body was buried in the ground, his body raised from the grave, bodily, Not ephemerally or or metaphorically did he rise, but bodily he rose. His bodies will have in heaven, but that's then. But for now, God loves you where you live in your body, and he loves you where you die. As we're seated, let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are not uh, afraid and we're not afraid to get dusty, to get involved, to get um, to become a body for us. And thank you that you took your body, uh, allowed your body be, to be nailed, to be crucified, uh, that you would be crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. And please, Lord, by your grace, let that act with the power of your spirit. Answer the question for us where
0: we live that you love us. Amen.